Amen. You can be seated. Ah, I beat you. <laughs> it's always a race. Um, if you have your worship folder, inside is an outline for you to follow along with. It has some fill-ins that you can take some notes on. Mike already said this, but I'm going to say it again because there, there's a little bit of a history behind it. There's a thing called a Paschal greeting. Um, Paschal meaning like it's for Passover or Easter now, um, this Paschal greeting. And nobody knows for sure the exact origins of it. There are many people who think that it began all the way back with Mary Magdalene, um, who was the first person to see Jesus um, risen. Um, Luke has this greeting um, or this thing that has become the greeting where he says the Lord is risen indeed. Um, but this Paschal greeting used to be more than just he is risen, he is risen indeed. It was more than that. And when they first did it, what they would do is they, they wouldn't do the response like that. They would just say he is risen. And then they would do the triple kiss. They would do the right, the left, and the right. So I need a volunteer to come up here, preferably somebody really hot. <laughs> Julie? There's Julie back there. That would, you didn't think I'm crazy, do you? <laughs> We've been practicing. <laughs> Here's what they would do. They would come up to each other and say, He is risen. And they would go, See? Was it? Let's do it again. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Now we're going to do this. We're going to all do this. And I know some of you right now are thinking, Oh, you're looking around thinking, Oh, I should move. There's somewhere else I need to be sitting. You're not going to do the kiss today. You can do that later. I'm just, what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, He is risen, and you're going to say, He is risen indeed. You ready? He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right. That's the reason we're here. That's the reason, actually, for everything. Easter is about resurrection. This Easter, we're looking at benefits, the benefits for us that are available because of Jesus' death and His resurrection. Last week, we looked at the benefits that are available because of Jesus' death, that we can have forgiveness that we can have healing, that we can have real freedom. And if you didn't hear that last week, um, you go to iloveourchurch.com. There's like three or four different ways you can listen to it or download it. We have some CDs probably still in the back. Um, but that was last week, Jesus' death. Today we're going to look at three benefits from Jesus' resurrection. But before I jump into that, I want to acknowledge that there might be those of you who are not convinced that Jesus rose from the dead. I just want to speak to that for just a minute because this is more important than you can realize. It's not just something that you can kind of take or leave. I want you to look at this from, from the Bible in 1 Corinthians. Here's what Paul writes. There were some people who did not believe in resurrection like at all. And, and here's what Paul writes, starting in verse 14 of 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And he goes on, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, believers who had hope in Jesus who have died, he said, those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost if there's no resurrection. 
And then verse 19, it's always been perplexing to me. He says this, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. I remember when I first read that, I was new in my walk with God and, and things were very exciting. I had hope, I had peace, I had freedom, I had some things that I'd never had before for the first time in my life. And I remember reading this and saying, well, you know, only for this life we have hope in Christ. We are of all people most to be pitied. I'm thinking it's pretty good. If this is all I have, this is pretty good. And I went for a long time not really understanding exactly why he would say that until I understood that when he wrote this, there was a time of intense persecution for Christians, like there is in many parts of the world today. And we can say, we can see somebody in Walmart and say, he is risen, or we can say, happy Easter, or we can say things like that. We can, we can go to church, we can do things here in this country that back then and in other countries today, when you claim the name of Jesus, when you stand and say, Jesus rose from the dead, it can mean death for you or your family. It can certainly mean separation from family. It can mean being ostracized. It can mean ostracized from the family. It can also mean thrown out of the the town because not all places are acceptable to the gospel like they are here. And when Paul wrote this, there was intense persecution. And for him to be able to stand up and say, Jesus is risen, meant, as it did for him many times, being beaten, being whipped, being thrown in prison being dragged through the streets. He understood what that was. He says, if this is all there is, we should be pitied. But when you read this passage, do you see what hinges on the resurrection? Pretty much everything, our faith, our forgiveness, our future, hinges on the resurrection. And although it ultimately comes down to faith for for us now, 2,000 years removed from that event, I'd like to share something with those of you who might be more interested in facts. Because few things have been so thoroughly investigated down through the ages like the resurrection has. In fact, I read this week from some um, historian, historical places. These are historians. In fact, a couple of them that I read are not necessarily... They're a little bit skeptical about the Bible and about Jesus and about the resurrection and about a bunch of things. But there are certain things that they do when they're investigating, like things of antiquity, things way back when, when we can't observe that, and, and it's too far for us to, to really fully understand, they have a thing that they call minimal facts. It's the minimal facts method. And here's what one of these historians wrote. The minimal facts method considered only those data, only those facts that are so strongly attested historically that they are granted by nearly every scholar who studies the subject, even the rather skeptical ones. So they come together and they say, based on studying this and this and this and this, if you're going to look at this subject, there are certain facts that are the minimal facts, and even people who disagree with what your outcome might be, they say these facts are indisputable. So they came up with a list of, there's many, but here's a list of 12 of these minimal facts. These are what the scholars who have investigated believe about Jesus, that it's not dis- they can't dispute these, these are facts. Even people who don't believe in Jesus say, yes, these are facts. So the first one is Jesus died by crucifixion. That's a fact. You can say, oh, I don't believe that. It doesn't matter if you believe it. It's a fact. He died by crucifixion. The second fact is he was buried. 
So he died, he was buried. And the third fact, the minimal fact, is his death caused the disciples to despair and lose hope. They saw him die, they saw him buried, and his death caused them to despair and lose hope. The fourth thing is the tomb was empty. Now, of all of these 12 facts that I'm going to read, that's like the most disputed. But almost all agree that for whatever reason, they might come to different conclusions, but they say that tomb, it was empty. The fifth fact is the disciples had experiences which they believed were literal appearances of the risen Jesus. Now, to me, that's one of the most important proofs because they believed it so firmly that leads to the next fact. The disciples were transformed from doubters to bold proclaimers. That's not in dispute. They claimed to see the risen Jesus, and it changed them from doubters to bold proclaimers. The seventh truth is the resurrection was their central message. That was the thing they preached, the resurrection. The eighth thing is they preached the message of Jesus' resurrection in Jerusalem. And it was in Jerusalem where Jesus was crucified. That's where they preached the message. That's not in dispute. And the ninth thing was, the church was born and grew there. In fact, that's what we're going to talk about next week. You don't want to miss next week. We're starting a new series. That's a public service announcement. We'll move on now. Number 10, Orthodox Jews who believed in Jesus made Sunday their primary day of worship. That's indisputable. The reason they did it is because they believed that the resurrection really happened. But it's indisputable that they changed their Sunday to their primary day of worship. Number 11, James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. James was converted to the faith when he saw the resurrected Jesus. It's indisputable. The reason that's so important is because James is one of the family members. James was a family skeptic. And when they want to look at facts to try to prove something, they don't necessarily always want to look at people who are sympathetic to everything. They want to look at skeptics. James was a skeptic. But he changed when he saw the resurrected Jesus. And the twelfth thing is Paul was converted to the faith. Paul, this is very important because Paul was an outsider skeptic. In fact, he was such a skeptic that he chased down and persecuted and killed Christians. But because he saw the resurrected Jesus, he was radically changed. Those are indisputable facts. Now, Paul also writes that Jesus didn't just appear to that little select group of people. He writes that they, he, Jesus appeared to many people after he rose from the dead. In fact, in one instance, he says, Jesus appeared to 500 people at one time. And he says, at the time that I'm writing this, there's still many of them, most of them are still alive. Because it was only a few years after the event happened. And the reason he said that was so that the people reading that, when he said Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to over 500 people at one time. And you know what? Most of them are still alive. You can go ask them. That's what he said, because they were still alive, and they could go up to the people and say, did you see? Yeah, Jesus showed up here. And they could give him, they could give the stories. Jesus walked with them. He talked with them. He touched them. He ate with them. The disciples' belief in the resurrection was so, so thorough and so genuine that they not only spent the rest of their lives proclaiming it under extreme persecution, but most of them gave their lives for that. People don't do that for a lie. 
people don't do that for a hoax. You keep something up for a little while, but you don't go your whole life and then die for that if it's not true. Most people say, though, I'll believe it when I see it. That's what, you know, I think most people are truly from Missouri, the show me state. You know, I'll believe it when I see it. That works for many things, except the gospel. Because Jesus said, it's not I'll believe it when I see it, it's when you believe it, you'll see it. Because when you believe it, your eyes get opened. When you accept it by faith, then you see what you couldn't see before. And I and many others here at During North Church have accepted Jesus at his word, received him by faith, and we see the results. In our lives and in the lives of those around us, we see the resurrected Jesus working. In fact, I bet I would get a pretty good response now if I were to proclaim the resurrection right now by saying, and again, you don't have to kiss, He is risen. He is risen indeed. That's the main thing. That's the thing of most importance. So here's what we're going to do today. By faith, we're going to proceed under the conviction that Jesus really did what he said he was going to do. He really was who he said he was. He really did rise like he said. And our faith is not in vain. When we believe and receive him, we're forgiven. We have a future in which we're not lost, but found. Because of the resurrection, we have so many benefits. So today, we're just going to look at three. Three benefits of the resurrection, three out of many, many, that can bring you hope. We're going to look at, actually, three verses in 1 Peter because of this. And we're going to see them in a couple different translations. When I study um, for myself, for my quiet time, as well as uh, to preach, I, I have many, many different translations. I look at a lot of different translations. It helps me understand things a little bit better. But we use a lot of different translations up here on Sunday. And I have been asked many times, since we use so many different translations on Sunday, what's the best translation? And that's like a loaded question. Because anybody that asks me that knows what they think the best translation is. And if I say something else, it's like, oh, you know. And if I say it's theirs, it's like, yeah, that's right. So I have an answer for you today. What is the best translation of the Bible? The one you read. That's what's important. The one you read. So we're going to look at the NIV first here from 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. It says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy... He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's where it all comes from. And then into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. So the first benefit of the resurrection is that you can have a fresh start. You can have a fresh start. Kind of like like spring, but not like in Minnesota. Some places spring comes and the weather changes and the snow goes away and, and things, but you know what I mean when I say spring. There is, this is something, this idea of a fresh start, 
This is something that we look at here before. We've looked at it a lot. This is actually wired into the DNA of Journey North Church. Our verse that we read said that through the resurrection, he's given us new birth. I wonder, here's what the New Living Translation says. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. See, here's the thing. Many of you might be doing family stuff because it's Easter. You might have family coming over. You might be going someplace. I don't know. We have some family coming over today. I was all worried this week because my driveway's like mush. You know, it's everything's melting. And, and it's like, I don't know where they're all going to park. And, and I'm all worried about that. It's like, well, I don't have to worry about it anymore. It's frozen solid again. So they can park wherever they want. But we're going to have family over. And here's the thing about family. There's only two ways to get into a family. Only two ways. You can be born into the family or you can be adopted into the family. The Bible actually talks about both of these ways when it talks about getting into God's family. It's like when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. He came to Jesus and it was asking him about this whole kingdom thing. And, and it says in John 3, Jesus replies to, excuse me, to him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Now, you might be thinking the same thing that Nicodemus was thinking, and the questions that he had when Jesus said, you have to be born again, it's like, wait, what? I'm a little bigger now than I was then. How can that happen? And Jesus says, okay, you're thinking wrong. It's about faith. And in verses 15 and 16 of that chapter, it says, everyone who believes may have eternal life in him, in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's about faith in Jesus. By believing in him, by receiving him by faith, we can be born again. Literally, that can be translated born from above. And we can be adopted then into God's family. That is a fresh start unlike an eternal level to be entering into God's family. That means the benefits that Jesus paid for by his death, the death benefits from last week, can be yours. The forgiveness and the healing and the freedom, they can be yours because Jesus rose from the dead. The Bible says whoever receives Jesus, he gives the right to become children of God, adopted into his family. And you can have that new birth. You can be born from above. You can have that fresh start by receiving Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. And more on that in just a moment. There's many of you, I understand, have already taken that step across that line from unbelief to belief, claimed Jesus as Savior, but life hasn't exactly been going, how can I say it, swimmingly for you. Fortunately, we serve a God of second chances. Many people here have experienced Jesus' resurrection in their lives in a fresh way and gotten a fresh start, a fresh start over, a do-over because of the resurrection. Maybe today, maybe the reason God brought you here today is not the reason you think. Maybe you need a resurrection in your life. There's a lot of areas in your life that you might need a resurrection because it seems dead. And it doesn't seem like anything's going to help it, but you need a resurrection. Maybe you need a resurrection in your marriage. I I brought Julie up here. Um, Two weeks from tomorrow, Julie and I will celebrate 35 years of marriage. 
you can clap for her because she's put up with this for 35 years. You know what the key? You know what the key to that is? Fall in love over and over and over and over. It's not enough just to fall into once. Fall in love once. You can fall into anything once. Fall into a puddle, a manhole cover. I don't know. You can fall into anything. You have to fall in love over and over and over. You know what it's like? It's like a resurrection in your marriage. And I can look back on those times and I can see when that happens and I can see falling in love all over. And some of you here, you might need a resurrection in your marriage because you look at it and you say, it's dying. Maybe it's dead. It needs a resurrection. You know what? That's why Jesus rose. So you can have resurrections in those situations in your life where you saw no hope, where you only saw death. Maybe you need a resurrection in your job or your career. Things are just not going the right way. It's dying, and it's a, it could be a physical thing. It could be a mental thing. And you're looking at that, and you, and you don't see any hope. You just need that resurrection. Maybe in your life, it's, it's a dream has died. And you need that resurrection. Maybe it's just the energy to get through. You need a resurrection there, because when Jesus rose from the dead, that's more power than we can imagine. And that power is available to us. So I don't know where you need a resurrection, but because of his resurrection, we can have a resurrection in those areas. We can have a fresh start. This is a theme that runs through the whole Bible. If you need a resurrection in some area of your life, if you need a fresh start, I want to remind you that we serve a God of fresh starts. And I want to read just a a small, small sampling of the fresh start verses for you. One of them may be just for you. In fact, it may be the reason that God brought you here today. From possibly the oldest book in the Bible, Job was probably written first in terms of when it was written. Possibly the oldest book comes a great promise if you need a fresh start. From Job 8, 7, it says this, Your future will be brighter by far than your past. And I know for many of you, you look at that and say, if only, if only. He wants to give you that fresh start. Another translation of that talks about out of small, insignificant, maybe even bad beginnings can come the greatest things. Your future will be brighter by far than your past. That's what fresh starts are all about with Jesus. God says in the Old Testament book of Isaiah, for I am about to do something See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. Does the dry wasteland of your life need some rivers? Does the wilderness that you feel like you're just wandering around in need a pathway? God wants to do something new for you. A fresh start. This verse about fresh start from the book of Joel is possibly one of my favorite promises in the Bible. God says not only can he give you a fresh start, but in Joel 2.25, he says, I will restore to you the years that the swarming locusts have eaten. The first time I heard that verse, I wept. Because he not only gives you a fresh start, he can restore 
years that the locusts have eaten. He can give you hope beyond what you could imagine. That's what a fresh start is about. And then this familiar promise from the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, you've believed and received Jesus and are in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things are made new. And some hope from the last book of the Bible, Revelation, it says, And he who was seated on the throne, it's talking about Jesus, said, Jesus, because he's alive at the end, because he rose from the dead, he says, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He wants to make that thing in your life that feels dead, he wants to make it new. He specializes in resurrections. He specializes in fresh starts. So because of Jesus' resurrection, you can have a fresh start, a new beginning. You can have a do-over. The second benefit of the resurrection is that you can have, number two, if you're taking notes, a new life, a new life. Here's what our verse said. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. NIV calls this a living hope. And I love that. But I've always associated that only with this is our future hope in heaven. And that is crucial. And it's certainly a part of it, as we'll see. We have to have that hope in heaven. We have to live that way and look that way. But if that's all we see in this, I think we've missed something. Huge. Here's how the New Living Translation says it. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Now we live with great expectation. And I pause there on purpose because it's about the great expectation and the hope, but it's now we can live that way. It's not just about living with a hope in the future. That's important, but it's about living now with a hope A new life of hope. That's the flavor of the message paraphrase. It says, because Jesus was raised from the dead, we've been given a brand new life and have everything to live for, including a future in heaven, and that future starts now. It's not just pie in the sky and a sweet by and by. He wants us to experience that now. That's the abundant life that Jesus talks about. That's real life. That's not just existing. Too many people go through life just existing. Day to day. Oh, it's Monday again. You know, oh, yeah, it's Friday. For me, it's the opposite. <laughs> That's all. But too many people are just existing. They're not really living, and you can have a new life because of the resurrection. If you don't know Jesus and have not experienced that first fresh start, you need to know that the moment that you do, God says, you can now have a life of hope, a new life. Maybe you've already believed. Maybe you've already received, but you're feeling hopeless about things far too often. You can have a new life of hope because of Jesus' resurrection. It doesn't matter if you just met him last week or you've walked with him for years. You can have a new life of hope. If you came today looking for some hope or came today feeling a little hopeless and didn't think that there was hope for you, Here's what Jesus said, John 14. 
After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. The message version of that really kind of gets my blood flowing for you. It says, in just a little while, the world will no longer see me, Jesus said, but you're going to see me because I am alive and you're about to come alive. I think that for some of you here today, you're about to come alive. Maybe for the first time. A fresh start. A new life. Doesn't that sound inviting? But wait, there's more. And if you'll say yes in the next 10 minutes, we'll also include... No, wait, wait, wait. That's, that's something different. It's a show I was watching the other day. You know? There is more, though. There's many benefits. But the third one we're going to look at today, the third benefit of the resurrection is that you can have true rest. You can have a true rest. Here's our passage again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. We now experience it because of the faith we have, and it's ultimately coming, he says. And because of Jesus' resurrection, you can have an inheritance, one that will never perish, spoil, or fade, because he guaranteed it by his resurrection. It's in heaven. That's how I've always read that verse, and that's true. That's what it's talking about. One of the things that the promise of heaven provides for us is rest. Real rest. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I find that the older I get, the more the promise of rest entices me. I see a gravestone, rest in peace, and I think, oh, that sounds good sometimes. I saw this from a different perspective for the first time this year. The idea of Jesus' resurrection providing true rest that this, like the other two benefits, are not just for the future. They're for now. What day, don't answer this. What day did Jesus die on? Just think the answer to your head. Most, if we took a survey, most people in here would say Friday. Good, good Friday, that's why we celebrate that. But there are some people, some good scholarly Christian people, who believe that it might have been Thursday. It might have even been Wednesday. Depending on how you reckon things, there might have been two Sabbaths that year. There might have been a different whatever, whatever. Um, so it's And one of the reasons they think that is because Jesus said, I'm going to be dead. I'm going to be in the earth, in the tomb, three days and three nights. And it's kind of hard to get three days and three nights from Saturday night to Sunday morning. Um, here's where it can help to, to kind of take off our 21st century American glasses and see things more like the authors of the New Testament. Because that was total different time period, total different culture, and they didn't divide things days like we do. We divide days at midnight. You know, until midnight, it's today. After midnight, it's tomorrow. That's how that works. That's not the way they did it. They divided it at sundown. Which meant, you know, it's, it's Friday night, it's sundown, it's Friday night. Okay, the sun went down, now it's Saturday. It's like, no, it's still Friday night. That was only five minutes ago. But that's how they looked at it. And they also, in the Jewish mind, part of a day counted as a whole day. 
So a few minutes before sundown Friday, a few minutes after sundown Saturday, that's two days. It's like, no, it's like 10 minutes. For them, two days. That's how they viewed it. So because if Jesus was buried on Friday evening and rose on Sunday morning, he was in the tomb three days, three nights. According to their reckoning, that's three full days for them because it was Friday and then it was Saturday and then it was Sunday morning. That's three days. Um, By modern reckoning, though, he was in the tomb for sure at least one full day. And that's Saturday. No matter what day you think he died on, he was in the tomb at least one full day. That's a fact we can agree on. He was in the tomb all day Saturday. Saturday is the Sabbath. We've talked about the Sabbath here before. We talked about the Old Testament view of it. We talked about the New Testament Jesus view of it, about the idea of Sabbath rest. If you were here, you remember work, 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 rest. That's what the Sabbath is. Work, 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 rest. Six works and a rest. That's what God said way early on. It's the principle of resting. It's a principle of realizing I can get done in six days, even though I think I need seven, because I can trust God. That's the whole idea behind it. God set up the Sabbath way back in Genesis. And in Genesis 2, it says, by the seventh day, the seven days of creation, six days of creation, by the seventh day, God had finished, and if you're taking notes, circle that word had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested, you can circle that word, rested from all his work. So if you notice that word finish, after it was finished, he rested. Do you remember what Jesus said on the cross? The last thing he said was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Right before that, do you remember what he said? It is finished. He said, it is finished. Here's what hit me this year. After God incarnate, which is Jesus, had declared his work on our behalf finished, he honored the Sabbath once more just as he had at the beginning of creation. In the tomb, God rested. G.K. Chesterton writes in The Everlasting Man that this Sabbath Jesus spent in the tomb was the last Sabbath of the old creation which was marred by Adam's sin. That's Adam and his sin, not Adam's sin. I didn't screw it all up. I am responsible for some of it, but I didn't screw it all up. It was Adam. And what the disciples, he writes, were looking at on Sunday morning was the first day of a new creation with a new heaven and a new earth coming. And in, in, it's interesting, he says, in the semblance of a gardener. Because you remember one of the first people that saw Jesus in the, uh, in the, in the, um, the graveyard there, out of the tomb. He's alive now. They thought he was the gardener. And he said, they saw him in the semblance of a gardener, and God walked again in the garden. God walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. And he said, this time, in, in not in the cool of the evening, but in the cool of a new dawn. Same thing happens. So when we rest for a Sabbath rest, when I work, 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 rest. And I take time off, even though I have a whole bunch of things still to do. My to-do list isn't done. There's a whole lot of things that need accomplished. We don't do that in the old creation, but in the new. Not in that world that was broken and screwed up and marred by Adam, but in the world being renewed by Jesus Christ. Because of the resurrection, I can have true rest, both looking forward to eternity in heaven, as well as now. See, I can rest now. I can take a day off, even though my to-do list isn't done. I can take a day off because it's not up to me. Jesus takes care of it. 
He finished the work. He paid the price. And I don't trust in politics or princes or presidents or proclamations to make this world a better place. But in Jesus, who himself became our peace. And in the middle of everything I might be going through, I can experience rest. And so because of the resurrection, you can have a fresh start. And all that means, you can have a new life Maybe living for the first time. Maybe having that resurrected for you. And you can have a true rest. You talk about a great benefit plan. How do I get these benefits? How do I do that? I mentioned a verse earlier. Look at it with me now. It's John 1.12. To all who believed him. It's talking about Jesus. To all who believed him and to all who received him, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. That's how you get into God's family. Two things. Believe and receive. You say, that's it? That's it. Believe and receive. That's how you get into God's family. And you say, wait a minute, Tim. I believe in Jesus. And I say, good. You're halfway there. Some people say, I believe in Jesus. And you know what I want to say? Big deal. You know what? The devil believes in Jesus. The devil believes he's real. He saw him die on the cross. He saw him buried. He saw him rise from the dead. The devil believes it, but the devil ain't going to be in heaven. You know why? Because he's believed, but he hasn't received. Have you done that? Have you become a friend of God's? Have you developed that friendship with God? I've been a friend with God for over 40 years. I know him better than I know any of you. I talk to him all the time. In fact, while I'm talking to you right now, I'm talking to him right now at the same time. You can do that. Your mind has two tracks. Mine has many tracks. (laughs) I don't know where some of them go. (laughs) But you can do more than one thing. You can believe and receive. And if, if you've never received him, you believe, you understand a church thing and a religion thing, but you've never received him for your own, today is the day. That's why he brought you here. To meet him. Not to get religion, but to meet Jesus. The resurrected Jesus. And to have a fresh start. To have new life and a true rest. I'd like you to bow your heads as we pray. Before we pray, with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you've already believed and you've already received, but maybe you need a fresh start. Maybe you need new life and a true rest. If that's so, today is your day. All you have to do is ask him. He's waiting to give that to you. And if you're here today, if you're listening to this now and you have never received Jesus... You can speak to him from your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. He hears your heart. He knows. And in the quietness of this moment, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you would like to meet him, to be a friend of Jesus, to believe him, to receive him, to have those benefits, you might just say in the silence and quietness of your own heart, Jesus, I believe. But not only do I believe that you are who you said you are and that you came back like you said, 
but I receive you as my own. I believe that what you did was for me, that my sins separated me from you, and I need you in my life so that I can have that fresh start, so that I can have that new life and that true rest and all of those, not just in the future, but starting now. Father, I ask you for that today. And it's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I want to say, first of all, congratulations, because you're now part of the family of God, if you meant that in your heart. Too many people actually miss heaven by 12 inches. The distance from their head to their heart. They know it, but they haven't received it. If you prayed to receive Jesus today, you can hear the angels rejoicing in heaven. Here's what I would like you to do. On your communication card, we did a little perforation thing. It's like magic. You can fold it. There's a place for you to put your... It's a fact it's really just fun to do. Okay. You can go... See that? Isn't that cool? You can put your name, address, phone number, and email on it. And there's a checkbox that said, My decision today, I believe Jesus and received him as my Lord and Savior. If you did that today, if you claimed Jesus for the first time and said, I receive you today, please fill that out. Hand it to me. Hand it to one of the worship team members. There's a a joy box, a wooden box on the the welcome desk in the back. Put that in there. We want to be able to help you and share with you. If you do that today and you don't have a Bible, we have one of those for you. We can give that to you. Um, We're all in this together. We're not designed to do this alone. Because of the resurrection, you can have a fresh start, a new life, and true rest. You can have that do-over. You can be adopted into his family. You can live with great hope and have an inheritance in heaven that starts now. Jesus died. That was a fact. He died to take our punishment. Died to take our sin. He was buried. But that was not the end of the story. And whatever you're going through right now, it's not the end of your story either. His death is over. It's once for all. It's a historical fact. His resurrection, historical fact, it happened. In fact, the next time you write the date, remember that you're writing that date of 2018 because of Jesus' resurrection. He split B.C. and A.D. But for you, it's not over. Jesus is just getting started. On the cross, he said, it is finished. The work is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. Because he's not finished with you yet. Don't give up. He didn't. And he won't give up on you. I'd like you to stand for the closing song. That's good news, isn't it? He has done a lot for us, and he wants to do that for you too. Psalm 51, for me, is a very special psalm. God used this very early on in my walk with him. It's a, it's a, a, a psalm of David. It's a very heartfelt thing. It's, a very, it's, it's very powerful. Um, and he used that in my life um, to really direct the course of my life um, and this whole fresh start idea. Um, in Psalm 51, verses 10 through 12, let me just read this very quickly in the message paraphrase. I love this. He says, God, make a fresh start in me. Shape a Genesis week from the chaos of my life. Don't throw me out with the trash or fail to breathe holiness into me. Bring me back from gray exile. Put a fresh wind in my sails.
Doesn't that sound good? He offers that because of the resurrection. Okay? Everybody look up here. Look up here. Next week, by the way, some of you don't know this, we have church every week. (laughs) Every Sunday. Look up here. Next. (laughs) Sorry. Next Sunday, two services. Two services, 9 or 10.30. 9 or 10.30 next week. I'll even have a sign up outside so that you can see it. Next week, two services, 9 or 10.30. We're starting a, a new series. Going to be talking about big church. I think you're going to really like it. You need to be here for that. Remember, if you claim Jesus today as Savior for the first time, please fill out one of these response cards, hand it to one of us, or drop it in the back. And one more thing. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Happy Easter. Thank you.